Hello and welcome to Choosing an Agency. My name's Alex and I'm here to talk about how to select the right agency to grow your business, giving you the inside line on things to look out for the next time you need external support. I'll be interviewing industry figures from all manner of backgrounds to get hints and tips on the things to consider when choosing an agency. Today, I'm joined by the fantastic Kelly Molson from Rubber Cheese. Hi, Kelly. Hello. <laughs> oh, jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs> That'll come across great on the podcast. <laughs> for people who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes. So my name is Kelly Molson, as Alex said. I have been running uh, my agency with my lovely co-founder, Paul, for 18 years now. My agency is called Rubber Cheese. And we, we design and build websites and systems and platforms for visitor and tourist attractions. So we, we really love to support organisations that help make people make lasting memories. That's what we're all about. Oh, fantastic. And in terms of your experience of the agency world, what were you doing before Rubber Cheese? So I was a graphic designer before Rubber Cheese. And that's where, so the last proper job that I had is where I met Paul, my co-founder. Um, and I'd been brought into the company that he worked at as a print designer, but then that kind of changed into a web design role, which I had no experience of whatsoever. But bearing in mind, this was like 20 years ago and um, Flash Animation was just about making its peak launch. Wow. <laughs> it was quite a while ago. Um, but yeah, before that, yeah, I was a trained designer. I used to work as a wine and whiskey label designer at one point I did packaging design I did some brand design so yeah the last job that I had where I met Paul was kind of my first experience of web and digital I think I barely only just about had an email address at that point it was really I mean the first job that I had I remember there was one computer between six of us and the first day you could go to the station cupboard and if you smoked you could get a company ashtray which I don't think they do these days. No, I don't think that's that's not the dumb thing anymore, is it? And so then you've also done a fantastic series of podcasts where you were interviewing other agency owners as well? Oh, not podcasts, but I did do um I did a really amazing interview series about it was it was it started in 2017. Um so long story short, it, it came about because of the um the Wow Company's uh, bench press report. So they launched a bench press report. And um, there was a stat in there that said that 27% of agencies were in the UK were run by women. I was like, it's rubbish. There should be more. Where are they all? And then I started to look around at my own network and was like, oh, well, I know about four. So that's not great, is it? <laughs> I should probably, you know, that, that's part of the problem, right? I don't know enough of it myself. So I set out to find as many as I could and then interview them and just talk about, you know, how they'd set up their agencies, how they felt about this kind of imbalance in the in the sector, what amazing things they'd done in their career, you know, what challenges they've had to overcome. And it was it was awesome. You know, I met brilliant women who were just doing incredible things in the industry. And from that interview series, that kind of turned into running mastermind events for women in the sector um, and then I started to run um, a meetup in Cambridge, which was for kind of which was for everyone in the sector, really. So it's men, women, um, freelancers, anyone that kind of wanted to learn and grow and understand about agency world. And what was really good is because I, you know, carried out all these interviews, I was able to bring in 
everyone from my network to talk at these events. So it was, yeah, it was really great. And then COVID hit and I couldn't do any live ones anymore. And I was sad. And I think with, there's almost like a dovetailing with that. I think what's happened for me since COVID hit is before that I was just hiding out and I've made the decision to sort of try and be a little bit more visible. And I've met more agency owners since COVID has hit than I probably have done the preceding, I don't know, 10, 20 years or so. Yeah, it's really great. I think that like the journey that you've been on in in kind of putting yourself out there and speaking to other agency owners is, is quite transformative, isn't it? You know, like the things that the- come from that. And the conversations you have, sometimes people that come from a different background, whether that is gender or race, sometimes have the most insightful conversations where I can learn a lot more about the challenges that different people have to sort of um, overcome that kind of thing. So, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely agree. So, Kelly, I've known you a while. So to get a feel for who you are, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> if you could invite four people, past or present, to a meal, who would you invite? I honestly think this is the hardest question. I could sit and answer this differently every single day. So this is today's four people that I would invite. This is today's. My first one would be Walt Disney. Wow. Yeah. So the reason that I put Walt Disney is we we, we do work in the attraction sector. And I think, you know, if you are going to choose anybody from that sector to speak to, Walt Disney has to be top of the list, right? Like what he has created in terms of the ultimate memory making experience and customer service experience as well, that he's at the top, right? And he's just been able, he's been able to create something, whether it's the park or the films or the animations or now, you know, with, with Disney plus, yeah. It's it's something that is making those magic memories for millions of people all over the world. And I think that is an incredible achievement. Absolutely. As, as a legacy, that's phenomenal. Completely. Um, but I think also the resilience that he showed as well. You know, when he started out, he just got knocked back over and over and over and over again in terms of like the animation stuff that he was doing, you know, whether it was whether it's going to work, you know, whether was this park like a crazy idea. Yeah. Um, so I think that he would be a great, he would be a great guest. And then my second one would be Abigail Ahern. So she, she's an interior designer and I have a real kind of like interior design passion outside of, outside of work. Uh-huh. Um, and what I love about her is she's like a real maximalist designer. So she's all about color, you know, paint your walls, your skirting boards, your ceilings all in the same color rich textures loads of kind of um bringing the outside in so like like by they call it biophilic design so you're you're making sure that you've got lots of natural light and you've got lots of you know kind of uh plants and foliage in your house as well and so i think that she would be a very interesting person to have and i've learned something today so i will be researching biophilic design and then talking to people like i know what i'm talking about (laughs) that's uh that's biophilic design that is I did so in my background here which you can't see you can only see on the video I did have a beautiful array of of houseplants on on my mantelpiece in the background here but unfortunately I'm really terrible with houseplants and they all died we have plants <laughs> so, in the office and they've all perished over the last year yeah all right so my fourth person would be Ricky Gervais Ooh. not just because I do think that he's hilarious but he has the most incredible skill for creating lovable, 
heartwarming characters. So I don't know if you've watched um, Afterlife, the, yes, absolutely. the series one or series two. I think for me, um, that is the most incredible series that truly encapsulates what grief can be like for a person. And that, that, that program is the one program that has made me cry with tears of laughter one minute and then sob tears of pain the next and it's so it just he just has this amazing ability to create the most emotive characters and I think I would love to also be a laugh right I'd love to have him around the dinner table absolutely and I was watching Afterlife the series around the time my poor old mum passed away and that thing about it's not really something you talk about um is it but that whole approach that he has to some of the really toughest subjects in life is quite um it's powerful isn't it oh completely yeah I mean I I totally sympathise with the the situation that you were in while we were watching it. I mean, I we it's been a good you know few years since our we we lost our twins, um, but the same I, I, I can remember watching it and the way that he approached the stages of grief that you go through. You know, those real kind of anger. You you hate the world and you hate everyone in it because they're not they can't give you what you want back. Yeah, absolutely. And he approached it in such a a, a real way but also you know incredibly humorous it's hilarious but also it's so raw and so you know it really really it just grabs you by the heartstrings completely so absolutely so n- number four david attenborough oh wow who wouldn't want david attenborough at a dinner party right he's got incredible stories he's seen the world and all of the creatures in it i just I would have so many questions about all of the creatures and also his take on dinosaurs, I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit of a dinosaur freak and I'd want to know, would he want them to come back as in a la Jurassic Park and his brother? Would that? Oh, that's the question, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I would. Not that like, I didn't not, you know, I wouldn't want the whole like eating people thing to happen, but I'm really down with maybe miniature dinosaurs coming back. You know? A diplodocus or something like that. The friendly ones. Yeah, the, the, the you know, the Vegasaurus. Well, with advances in genetics, a sort of miniature diplodocus could be could be yours. Could be pretty cool, couldn't it? Excellent. So I think I get a real feel for who you are, Kelly. And the reason we're doing this podcast series is to try and help clients get better working relationships with agencies that they're choosing. And so we've got some questions that look into that. So what factors are included in the best brief that you've seen? Right. I have got a brilliant example of the best brief I've ever seen because it was for a pitch that we we won, actually. I'm very, very proud of this one that we won. So the best brief I've ever seen was from Eureka, the National Children's Museum, and for lots of different factors. So what they articulated really well in their brief was all of the things that we have to go through to evaluate whether we go ahead with a tender or not. So... They showcase what the brief for the project was, you know, what their requirements were, you know, in a lot of detail, actually, you know, they were really clear about it. They put in a budget, they put in realistic timeframes, explained how they were going to feed back to people, whether you got through to the, the next stage or not. Oh, that's really, that's really valuable, isn't it? Yeah. That, and that, that was a really good, that was awesome, actually. So they, you were going to get feedback whether you got through or not. So everybody got feedback. And I'm telling, telling you now, 40 agencies tendered for this. They, they did put an open tender out and they had four. So there was a lot of work that they had to do. 
they wow. they talked about what that process would be they talked about who you know who how many agencies would go through to the next stage what that next stage would look like also what was really respectful um about the the brief uh, was that they they at the second stage so they they i think they were going to take five or six agencies through to the the interview stage mm-hmm. and that that stage they did want to see creative now this is always a really it's a really tricky subject because a lot of agencies don't like to do creative and, and we don't actually, it's not something that we're, that we're keen to do. However, they offered to pay. So they offered to pay for, um, uh, they, they offered to pay a fee for the creative work that would be carried out. And, and, and if I'm honest, it probably wouldn't have covered all of the work that any of the agencies put in, but the, it was an element of respect for that. Absolutely. And those ideas that you were going to be creating there is nothing worse, is there, than going into a pitch and being ghosted and getting no feedback. Yeah. And I just think that commitment to give feedback really stands out. But then also to actually pay for like design work and that kind of thing so you can see what your thinking is like is it shows a true understanding of what it's like to work with an agency. Absolutely. And just like that level of respect for people's time as well, I thought was incredible. But there was two other things that they did. So all that, that for me is a perfect, you know, mm-hmm. th- that's what we need to know whether we're going to go, go through it or not. But then they did something else, which ha- I've hardly ever seen in a brief is that they really use the companies, like the organization's tone of voice to write that brief. So actually it was fun. You know, the way that they spoke, the terminology they used was all of the same stuff that they would use to to communicate with their audience, with their visitors. You know, Eureka is an incredibly fun, interactive children's museum. It is it is a magic, magic place. Mm-hmm. Their brief used the same terminology, used that same kind of tone of voice. So you you were really excited about it, you know, and it showcased what they were going to be like to work with. And a lot of briefs are just so dull (laughs) they're so kind of stayed and regimented and this was like a breath of fresh air um and they also as well as the kind of okay this is this is what we need to do this is what we need to achieve we need a new website we need it to do these things they also threw in a couple of business challenges that they were having and that was quite interesting because it 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 allowed you to kind of change the scope of what the project was so they had this kind of challenge that was it was not, it wasn't really related to the website project at all. It was just you know we've got this issue where um, we have really long queues in October. Our, our October half term is is ridiculously busy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wet. People have to queue up outside. They might have had to queue for an hour to get in, and then um, they might then have to queue for another hour once they're in to convert their ticket into an annual pass. So we need to. What do you think about this? And so it gave like a really kind of open-ended challenge that was, oh, yeah, this is interesting. There's loads of stuff that we could do to solve this. And that sort of impactful problem solving is a fantastic thing. So as an agency, to be able to take away a client's pain is awesome. Absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, you've got no boundaries with that as well. There was, there was, it was so open, you know, you could have thrown, you know, there was so much that you could, there's so many places you could go with that. It made it really interesting and really exciting. And I just, uh, yeah, I think anyone that, that would have got that brief, there's no way they, they would have turned it down. Oh, fantastic. And so in terms of that brief, so you mentioned budgets. How important are budgets? I mean, they're really important, right? You know, we get asked to tender for stuff 
on a weekly basis, which is brilliant, you know, lovely that your name's out there and, and, and you're being recognised and, and they feel that you're a good fit for them. But you, you're only a good fit for them if you can solve their challenges within the budget that they've got. And so, you know, you could it's really difficult. You can't go for every tender that you're given. It's impossible. You've really got to evaluate carefully whether you, whether you will win that, you know, what's your chance of winning that tender. And if there isn't any budget, how do you know where the boundaries are? You know, you could spend a week pulling together the most incredible tender and pitch, you know, pitch document proposal, whatever you want to call it. If they have 10 grand to spend but what you're showcasing is, look, you you know, you need to spend 50K on this. This is and this will do all of these incredible things for you. You're so misaligned and, you, and it's just a waste of time for everybody involved. It's a waste of time for the agency. It's a waste of time for the client. So I think you have to be upfront about the budgets. And it's not so the agency is going to go to the, the max of it. It's just so they know if they can provide you a solution that's going to be a really, you know, it's going to work effectively for you within that. And so, so what, what would be the reasons why clients wouldn't give you a budget? I think, one, there's a fear that, that, that they think agencies are going to go to the top end of it all the time. So, you know, if we say 20 grand, you're just going to come back and say it will cost 20 grand. But it might cost 20 grand, you know. Yeah. But um, So I think fear is one. I think genuinely sometimes there is, a, there's, there, there is a lack of kind of understanding of what digital costs mm-hmm. Um depending on the scale of the organization that you're working with, you know, we get inquiries from quite small visitor attractions that, you know, they've managed to get by with something that's been okay for now, but they know they need to invest in digital, but they just don't really know what that investment needs to look like, or that they don't know the reality of of what stuff or how long stuff takes and what stuff costs. So I think they're the two biggest things. Um, People don't like talking about money, do they? Like ultimately, <laughs> I was always a little bit bashful about um, asking clients about the you know, direct commercial questions, um, and I'd leave it to the end. And you end up in a situation where you have that exact scenario that you painted, whereby you're pitching too high and they've just not got the budget, and they say no straight away. So yeah. if you actually ask a question where you actually frame the budget, you know it's not going to cost you fifty thousand pounds but it might be ten thousand pounds or would you need it to be two thousand pounds they've got some sort of scale where they can get a feel for commercially where their organization fits in yeah and i've definitely done what you've done in the past and been apprehensive about talking about money too soon because i think i didn't want to you know i haven't wanted to give that impression that that's all we care about but actually now it's it's it is a really early part of that conversation and framing it, like you said, you know, okay, well, look, um, are we looking at a project where you're looking to invest between 10 to 20? Or, you know, if I told you that what what we're talking about today is probably going to be near on like 40 to 50, how does that make you feel? And then you, you know, if they don't really want to give you specifics, you do get at least a range of where they're at and what they're comfortable with. Absolutely, absolutely. And so is there anything else that's really important when you're qualifying leads as an agency? So what actually we use a tool um, and I know you I know, you know, the guys at Cactus or the team at Cactus. Amazing, amazing agency support. So they have um, a tool called the Qual Score and it lists a number of questions and you kind of you go, you you read the brief and you kind of you look at the questions and you give it a score Mm -hmm. from one to zero. So one of the biggest things for me, so budget is up there. Um, 
another really big one for me is like can we speak to you (laughs) so can we have a conversation with you and can we ask you questions not just you know email over clarifying questions or stick them on one of those dreadful portals can we actually have like a face-to-face albeit over zoom chat about what you're trying to achieve because for me it it's rapport you know that's the biggest part of working with an agency is is do you do you get on with them mm-hmm. and, I, and I just I, I can't fathom why any organization wants to go through the portal process where they don't get to speak to an agency you know like the first interaction they have with an agency is when an agency is pitching and a pitch isn't that conversational? So you're not really getting to understand what it would be like to work with them. You're just getting the showcase of what they can deliver. Yeah, you're getting the agency sort of jazz hands rather than this is who they are um, and this is what they're like to talk to And because there's yeah. almost the thought they, um, it's almost like an Instagram version of an agency, isn't it, where it's, the, it's their best selves rather than actually this is who they are. Yeah, and the, and the most important thing really is this, this is this, this, conversation on this kind of level you know asking questions you know what are the real challenges um so that that for me is number one and and then budget as well but then you know realistic time frames actually has the budget been approved yeah. <laughs> is, is interesting because that happens quite a lot where yeah there is a budget but then that that might be that might need to be funded and that budget isn't actually in place so you're you know you're not going to get a decision about that project for for god knows how long are you going to get feedback? Yeah. Is is critical. You can only improve with feedback. So if you're not going to get it, then what's the point? For for, an, for a client, when they are selecting agencies, what things can they do to look up a, and check on an agency's reputation? So this is really current at the moment. So what we're finding is a lot of the tenders that we're being asked to be part of, they're speaking to like 10 or 12 agencies. I think anywhere between eight and 12 agencies at the moment. Wow. And that blow, yeah, it's blowing my mind a little bit. One, because I think that, it, I mean, that's way too many. <laughs> also, you know, I think about the client and the work that they're going to have to do to evaluate that. And then I'm like, okay, well, if this is going out to eight to 12 agencies, are they going to give those eight to 12 agencies feedback? They're not, are they? They're going to run out of time. It'll get, it'll get parked. So I think the first thing they can do is do their own pre-qualification and and look at three agencies, I, I think three, four agencies max. So And that's looking at things like if you are in a specific sector, do you want your agency to have specific sector experience? You know, mm-hmm. is that really important to you? Or do you want someone who's got a service experience? So, you know, they build apps, but they're not necessarily focused on the sector that you work in what what is the fit that you really want so you know do your own kind of groundwork and then I think obviously check out you know what the agencies do in terms of you know what case studies have they got on their website then have a conversation with them see if you like them (laughs) you know that's really important and I would speak to you know speaking to clients I think I think speaking to existing agency clients is important, but I'm gonna. I also think it might be interesting to speak to clients that are no longer clients as well. So, you know, to get a feel for what it was like. Okay, for instance, I know that if someone comes to me tomorrow from an attraction that what you know wants a new website, yeah. there's like five or six clients that I could send their way, and they'll give us glowing testimonials, which is amazing, right? 
but is that a true representation? You might want to speak to an ex-client who you might, you, you don't have a bad relationship with you anymore, but you don't work with them for whatever reason. And then you're kind of getting the whole picture. Absolutely. You know? I'm probably shooting myself in the foot here, but I think, that, I think that's quite important. <laughs> yeah. And I think there is the, um, you know, each agency, there's a reality of what it's like to work with them. And so to find out how things have gone on, you know, when everything works out and is beautifully aligned and you've got the perfect version of them, but then also when things sort of maybe don't quite work out as well and see how they handled and manage that situation. Yeah, because things come up for retenders. It's not necessarily that that relationship's broken down. It's just projects come up for retender. The agency might have chosen not to. How did they handle that handover process with the new agency? You know, yeah. what have they been like to deal with if there's been any challenges with that? And I think it's stuff like that that's, that, that showcases, you know, what an agency's kind of real values and stuff are as well. Absolutely. Um, and potentially looking at their suppliers as well and talking to them. How they deal with their suppliers, I think, could be quite an interesting yeah. uh, learning curve for an agency too. So in terms of like signs that a client can look out for, that an agency is a good fit or a bad fit, what would you say would be on the list for that kind of thing? So the, again, I'm going to go back to this whole speaking to them thing, because I think that the rapport is, is, is vital. So I think that they're, you know, if you get on with them, if you can see that your values are aligned if you feel that you can trust them and there's a mutual respect backwards yeah. and forwards there between the clients. And I think, again, this, this comes back to why we tend to steer away from those very kind of portal driven uh, tenders, because you just don't get the opportunity to do that. And it just doesn't seem to make any sense. Um, but I think you're yeah, going back to, you know, do, do you need that agency to have that experience in your sector? So if that if that's really important for you, you need to mm-hmm. be looking at, you know, do they have case studies that clearly show that they work within your sector? Are they speaking at events that are sector focused? What's the content that they're pushing out? You know, yeah. what research projects are they working on? What what's their understanding of your challenges? You know, how far do they go to 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 understand them? But they're not like, are they excited about a project? Like what? What energy are they bringing to the project? So going back to the Eureka brief, we got that brief really late. We had like a week before the tender deadline. And we got put in touch with them. We had a really great like email conversation. I jumped on the phone, had a chat with them. And I was like, right, look, we're down in, we're down in Essex, Hearts Essex border. Um, We want to come to her, like we want to come to the, the, to Halifax we want to come and visit the site and see what it's like before we put a tender in you know we've got to get a real feel for the place and that's um, not got... a short journey either no <laughs> it's not it's a good like three hour drive um but it, you know what I just don't understand I, I don't I didn't think that we could propose properly without understanding what it was like there to get a feel for it so it was really important for us and I think that showed them a real commitment that we wanted we really wanted to work with them but um you know, we had a week, so they were really, they were really accommodating. They actually extended the tender um, for a few extra days so we could do that. But yeah, we drove all the way up to Halifax and we met with the comms and marketing manager who was brilliant. She gave us a little bit of time face to face. And she actually, she did say, this was another good thing about that brief is that if agencies wanted to visit, if they wanted to come and they would, she would meet them face to face. So she gave everybody a little bit of time face to face, which was really lovely. And then we got let kind of let loose on the center so we could, you know, walk around the museum, we could see how kids were interacting with it and and what it kind of brought, you know, the fun levels that it brought to them. Um, 
but what we found out afterwards that we thought was a bit odd is that I think of the 40 submissions that they had, something like 10 or 15 of them were from agencies who'd never visited the, the centre. So they hadn't been to Eureka. They hadn't been to visit the museum. I couldn't understand that. I couldn't understand how you could really understand the the, the challenges that that organisation has without going there as an attraction, you know, and seeing it and how it operates. Absolutely. And when, so in the former life, I used to work um, at an agency where they had a lot of clients with physical retail estates. And so literally each month, if you worked on an account, you would have to go out and visit a new store of that client. So that in conversation, you could mention, we've been to, you know, this store, we saw that, that was looking fantastic. We looked at the point of sale or whatever it was. And it just shows an interest in the client's business above and beyond just being in the phone and taking some um you know bookings for media space and that kind of thing yeah we try and do it with our clients now so if they have an e-commerce functionality on their site we will make a order to have that full sort of experience all the way through to checkout yeah. and so we have a box of really random stuff in the office that um at some point we'll get around to putting on ebay because <laughs> you know, some of the stuff we don't actually need we try and get stuff that we need but you know you sometimes. can run competitions you could do like weird instagram competitions for the for the prizes that you've got that would be quite random i could give you some copper foil or uh, copper tape or electromagnetic shielding stuff if you want it sure i'd find a use for that somehow <laughs> but yeah but that's part of it so we on that day we purchased a ticket, you know, we went through the booking process, we, we bought a ticket, we queued up, we did the thing that everyone else would do to see, you know, what, how it was working for people. So I think that's, that's really important. Uh, obviously, COVID has, has affected that process. So we haven't been able to do that, you know, in the past year, which I think is, has been, that's been quite difficult for us, you never really get a whole sense of the of the place until you're actually there. But, you know, what can we do? In terms of looking at an agency and finding out whether they're a bad fit is there anything that stands out there or I just I think just the flip of what I've said really you know if you don't have a good rapport with them if you feel like you know you don't have that kind of level of trust if they're not really engaging with the process as as much as you would hope they would it I hate like I hate that phrase you know going the extra mile but I don't think visiting a visitor attraction before you put a tender in is going the extra mile I think that's part of the process uh-huh. If you're if you've got an agency that's not going to do that, you know, do they really are they going to care, care that much about? Yeah, yeah. So, in terms of RFPs, requests for pitches, what is the dullest one that you've ever heard of? Oh God, I, I mean, I, d- I don't want to name specifics because we did go through this. This is the one and only time we went through this process, but. I think for me, it's those it's those ones that use those formal tendering platforms. And they're usually, I'm really sorry, but they are usually kind of like council driven or government driven. And they are just the dullest things. I just don't, honestly, I can't even, most of the time, I can't even understand the terminology that they use. They don't speak like, they don't speak like, like normos like me. Um it's like some pr- procurement legalese or something oh. like that, where there's lots of hidden meanings and unspecific uh, value attributed to questions that unless yeah. you are aware of that world can make it quite um, tricky to participate in. Yeah, it's really, really painful. And the things that they ask for as well are just incredible. I mean, 
obviously we you know we've got a million policies in place for a million different things but then when you go through these processes that's that's the biggest part of the tender is we need to see all of your 50 million processes and and policies please and um and here's the space here's your inch space to write how you'll actually how you'll actually do this project for us (laughs) 200 words yeah and so in terms of your space are there any agencies that you really really admire Although they're not, they don't work in the same sector as us, but in the, uh-huh. in the same space as us in terms of being, you know, a digital agency. But I hugely admire Reflect, uh, Reflect Digital. I think Becky, who is the MD there, is just such a, she's incredible. She's such a powerhouse of, of fun and um, insight and just she's one of the most kind of warm and caring people that I've ever met what they do there is incredible and they do you know fantastic digital work but one of the things that I really admire about them is how much they engage with the kind of younger generation you know they they do loads of community focused work around um, schools and universities and really kind of highlighting what they do and getting you know work experience people involved in graduate schemes and stuff like that so them for me have yeah they're they're number one of of my who do i admire my absolutely love them i think i really like um on their website where they have um three lollipops in the middle is the sweet spot and i think that um yeah fantastic company fantastic people i also really like their mugs so I just putting it out there, Becky, if you ever listen to this, I'd love one of your mugs with my, with my mug on. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Kelly, this has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? So you can head to our website, which is rubbercheese.com or um, I'm on LinkedIn. So I'm just Kelly Molson on LinkedIn. So you can connect with me on there. I do tweet. It's not always business related. I'm not going to lie. It's a bit random. But I am the Chief Cheese over on Twitter as well. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. You are welcome. It's been a pleasure. All right, gang. Thanks for listening. If you found the conversation useful, please join me again next time for Choosing an Agency.